Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This is the first week of our 2024 winter season, and we're picking back up with our study of the Gospel of Mark. If you'd also like to dive into other studies from our archive, you can search our entire library at thevillagechapel.com resources. We pray these studies will help you to think biblically in all categories of life so that we all might be formed more into the likeness of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Jim. So, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. Man, this is an amazing encounter of Jesus with a rich young ruler. And I believe the guy's an honest seeker. Tell me what you think as I read this story. And by the way, notice how Jesus responds to this guy, okay? As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I emphasize do and inherit there because usually to inherit something, you have to be someone, um, a son, a daughter, uh, uh, even perhaps a nephew or a niece, but you're related in some way. But this guy's question is, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And remember, all of Jesus' questions are rhetorical. He knows the answer, uh, but he's wanting this guy to think it through a little bit. Why are you calling me good is the question. Uh, And then he makes the point, nobody's good except really good except for God. And of course, this man's questions are about being good doing good? What do I have to do to inherit? And um, at the risk of sounding a little Star Warsian, um, it's it's uh, try not only do. It's you know a little Yoda-ish in a way, but you don't do to inherit. You be to inherit. So <clears throat> do not only be, I guess, would be the way we would say this. Um, uh, if you don't like Star Wars references, just send me a little nasty note in the comment or something like that, and we'll have a good chuckle about the whole thing. So, verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus asks, no one is good except God alone. And then Jesus goes on to say, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, and then honor your father and mother. And so he's, they're in a little different order than we find them in Exodus chapter 20, but Jesus is summarizing um, the do side of the Ten Commandments, if you will. Um, You're What's interesting is that the the first of the the Ten Commandments, the first few, that have to do with your relationship between God, having no other gods before God, um, and what we're, you know, uh, how we treasure the name of God and don't take it in vain, that sort of thing. He doesn't go there. He just goes, since this man is asking questions about rule following, uh, he's... Jesus answers him in like manner with the commands about that. Well, the teach the uh, man's response in verse 20 is interesting. Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. And um, <laughs> I have to say, I'm a little incredulous myself. If I'm, you know, it's a good thing I'm, I wasn't there. Uh, it feels to me like he just broke one of the commandments and told a lie to say, I have kept all of these things from my youth up. Um Yeah, probably missed the boat there on that one. Verse 21, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. 
and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So Jesus, again, getting to the heart of the matter. Remember, we've said it before, uh, for Jesus, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And um, he's, he's highlighting that, I think, for this fella as well. Well, at these words, verse 22 says, this man's face fell. He just, oh, you know, that kind of thing. And he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. So there he's called the rich young ruler for a reason. Um, he uh, is he owns a lot of property and evidently some of that property owns him as well. Um, and yet Jesus loved him, we're told right here. Um, Jesus felt a love for him, verse 21 says. And I, I want you to know something. Um, that extends to today and that extends to you and I as well as to this uh, wealthy young ruler. Uh, who clearly is a little deluded about his own goodness, uh, clearly is, you know, a little fond of the things of this world still, not quite coming to Jesus with a pure, open, honest heart. No. And that should give us a little bit of hope. Jesus felt love for him, we're told. And that's because Jesus loves sinners like me like this man, like you. And how you have behaved or performed isn't what's at stake here. It's what kind of a heart does Jesus have toward those uh, uh, who are sinners, which is all of us, okay? Jesus felt love for him. Jesus sought to educate him a little bit. And, and bring him, you know, point out the heart of the matter and get him to see that the matter of the heart was what was important. And when he challenged uh, Jesus a little bit and said, I've kept all of those rules from my youth up, Jesus said, well, not so much. Let me show you the one thing you lack. And told him to go sell all his property. He went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. Verse 23, Jesus, looking around, um, said to his disciples how hard it is. Uh, is or will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Those who are wealthy and find their identity and their wealth, everything about them is wrapped up in that and maintaining their uh, wealth status. And then we could say the same thing about a, a lot of categories of life. The big three, you know, the money, sex, power categories, um, if, if, if wealth or money, uh, sexuality or pleasure of any kind is where you find your identity, uh, you're going to have a problem here because Jesus will brook no rivals. Uh, Jesus will be Lord of all, and he wants you to find your identity in union with him, living your life in union with him. And so um, he says to the disciples how hard it is for those who are wealthy or find their identity and their wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. Verse 24 says, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And again, the rich man is uh, sort of a term that would say this is this person's identity. This is how this person measures their own life. This is the center of their life. 
and how they uh, would identify themselves. And Jesus is saying, you don't come into the kingdom of God clinging to your earthly things or clinging to your earthly identity. Uh, so whether it's money, sex, or power, or some variation of those things, uh, you've got to let all of that go uh, and surrender all of it to him. Verse uh, 26, I'm going to read down to 31 for us. Uh, verse 26, and they were even more astonished. And that happens a lot when Jesus is teaching, especially to his disciples and should to us as well. And they said to him, then who can be saved? And looking upon them, Jesus said, with men, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And the same thing is true for us as well. It's impossible for Jim, for me to save myself. It is not impossible for the God of the Bible to save a sinner such as myself, or even such as this man in my, my hope and prayer is that when we all get home one day in heaven, we're going to find this guy up there and that he would have left this encounter with Jesus, gone and thought about it a little bit more, perhaps come around to a couple more of the teachings of Jesus or maybe even gone to Jerusalem uh, during the Passover when Jesus laid down his life on the cross. And perhaps he's one of the over 500 people that saw Jesus alive again after the, Jesus got up from the dead. And that certainly would have been a convincing uh, bit of evidence for this man to, to move into becoming a believer. So these, these disciples are saying, well, who can be saved? Jesus says, with human, on human efforts, it's, impo it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, behold, we've left everything and followed you. And uh, Jesus said, truly, I said to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he shall receive a hundred times as much now in the previous age or in the present age, rather houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And we see really two different kingdoms on display here, don't we? The kingdom of this world, where everything is about grab as much as you can, find your identity and all of that stuff, and then find it all leaving you still wanting something. This, that's what happened to this man. He had everything. Um, he had been a good boy, <laughs> at least in his own mind. Uh, and, he, and he had much property. So, see, much on the worldly level, much on the religious level to commend him. But none of that was enough. And he found himself still chronically dissatisfied, longing for more. That's why he went to Jesus in the first place. And that's why so many people, even now in our own day and time, um, acquire much, achieve much, um, and, and get affirmed much. Um, by this world system and the culture and all that sort of thing, and still find it's not enough. Why? Because we need the love and affirmation of the only one that really matters, and that's our Father who art in heaven, our Lord Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit reminding us over and over and over again after we become believers of the, the power of the gospel 
to transform and change us and to give us a sort of holy contentment that leads to um, an inexhaustible um, joy, uh, an unassailable hope, because our trust, our hope, our identity is in Jesus himself. Well, let me just throw a couple of summary points uh, out on the table for you to consider this morning. First of all, um, we've said before, uh, it's been a while since I said this in our study of Mark, but it's all about Jesus. And then the, the second thing I think that we see as we read all the way through Mark is that he wants, Mark wants us to ask these and answer these two questions. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And how should we respond to Jesus? And I think that's evident here as well. Jesus, uh, th- this guy says, uh, good teacher. Jesus says, who's good but God? And in the parentheses there, if, if, you're, if, if you've got these questions, that these two questions that I'm saying Mark is asking and asking us to wrestle with and to answer, um, you can hear Mark saying, who is Jesus to us as he tells this story? Um, the man says, good teacher. And Jesus says, who's good but God alone? And Mark says, see, Jesus is God. God is good. God is the only one who's good. And Jesus is indeed good. He's the good shepherd. He's the bread of life. Um, He's the door. He's the way, the truth, the life. Um, There are so many aspects of Jesus' character and his welcome for you, his welcome to me, uh, that should just draw us, should just compel us to move in his direction. John Stott said, the fundamental questions in every religion are the same. By what authority do we believe and teach what we believe and teach? And then by what means can sinful men and women be reconciled to God or be saved? I can answer those questions very easily for you here when it comes to the Village Chapel or this podcast, Timeless Truth. Um, By what authority do we believe and teach what we believe and teach? The authority of the scriptures, the ancient text that's been handed down to us, preserved by God supernaturally, um, inspired by God to be authored by over 40 different authors over a period of time, about 13, 1400 years, authors from all different walks and backgrounds, so that there is poetry, there's wisdom literature, there's a prophetic literature, apocalyptic literature, historical narrative. There's something that'll speak to you and something that will speak to me. And it all points to Jesus and finds its fulfillment in Jesus. By what authority do we believe and teach what we believe and teach here at the Village Chapel or on Timeless Truth, the scriptures? By what means can sinful men and women be reconciled to God or be saved? These are John Stott's questions. I'll put this in the show notes, of course. But how can we be reconciled? Jesus. That's how we can be reconciled. Not by you being good, not by doing something, but by receiving something from Christ and being his, being in union with him. William Lane has a commentary on the Gospel of Mark. He says, There is no mark of God's special favor in possessions, uh, nor in the lack of them. The peculiar 
peculiar danger confronting the rich, however, lies in the false sense of security which wealth creates and in the temptation to trust in material resources and personal power when what is demanded by the law and the gospel is a wholehearted reliance upon God. Yeah, so when you've got much and you've amassed much like this fella is, it's harder. Uh, that's why Jesus even said it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle, which is just an impossibility um, uh, to, to, to see that done. And I know you probably have heard some of you anyway, the, the folk who say one of the gates in the old city wall uh, was called the eye of the needle. And you could get your camel down on his knees and it had its, uh, its pack on it and that sort of thing. You could push and squeeze that camel through that little small gate, the eye of the needle gate. But the, I, I, I don't really buy that uh, as something Jesus is talking about here. Why? Because the point is, it's an impossibility. He even says that with his disciples. It's impossible with men on men's terms. You can't push the camel through. We need grace. We, we, we can't rely on works. Um, at least three things about Jesus here. One, Jesus had a high view of Scripture as God's revelation. Look at the way he interacts with this man about the law, about the Ten Commandments. Jesus had a very high view of Scripture. And the Bible of their day, of course, was the Old Testament. Um, and so I would say uh, it's always good to notice um, like even in, if, you, if you were to study, for instance, Matthew's gospel, which uh, I taught through Math, Matthew, I think one or two times uh, at the Village Chapel, and I'm, sh- I'm sure that all of it is on thevillagechapel.com. If you would like to study Matthew next, uh, queue up and study. You'll find out that Matthew quotes the Old Testament. That's the Bible of their day. Uh, Matthew quotes the Old Testament almost a hundred times. So Jesus had a high view of Scripture too. Jesus will have the final say on who enters the kingdom of God. And so this man is wise to go to Jesus. We all are wise to go to Jesus if we're curious at all about eternal life. Um, Jesus, high view of Scripture. Jesus, yes, he will have the final say on who enters the kingdom of God. Look how generous and welcoming he is. Look how this man didn't have it all together, didn't have it all figured out yet. Uh, and yet we're told there that Jesus uh, felt love for him in verse 21. And he feels love for you and he feels love for me as well. Um, he so loved the world that he, that God, the God of the Bible, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him, trusts in him, hopes in him, turns to him, repents, turns to Jesus in faith believing, can have eternal life. And the third thing I think we see here about Jesus is that following Jesus involves costly sacrifice, but results in greater reward. And that's what I think we read as we got down toward the end of the passage in verse 31 down there. Yeah, the disciples come and they say, look, we've done all this. And Jesus says, you, it, following me is expensive. You're right, it is. It will cost, it, it will cost you more than you probably thought in ways you probably didn't think you would be able to to give up or to surrender. And every single one of us, the problem is is every single one of us is more attached to money, sex, and power and those three large categories and variations of them all. We're all attached to those things so, so much more than we can possibly imagine. 
that that Jesus is is being honest here and saying to us, following him will involve costly sacrifice, but the promises of the of the reward that is so much greater are are on offer to you and on offer to me as well. Corey Ten Boom, uh, just two more quotes and I'll let you go. Corey Ten Boom said, the most, the most miserable person in the world is not the person who doesn't have what he wants, but the person who has what he wants and has found out that it doesn't make any difference. This guy had what he wanted. You know, he had all the property in the world. Um, it just didn't make any difference. He still was longing for more. And I think that may indeed from time to time dawn upon each and every one of us that as we've been working so hard to amass things, acquire things, achieve things, um, and we, we put so much hope and confidence in those things only to find that we're still longing for more of something. And we just, we wander around trying to figure out what it is. And finally the light goes on the Lord himself uh, speaking to us, even through a text like this, says, the thing you're really longing for is a relationship with me. Um, and so I'm, as a pastor, um, uh, I'm thrilled to be able to say to you, you can have a right relationship with Christ today. No matter how long you've been walking with him, no matter how many things you think you had figured out about him, there is so much more to discover. I'm finding this out myself each and every day. And on that subject, I'll close with this quote by C.S. Lewis. Some of you are familiar with this quote. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis Folks, don't be so easily pleased today. Don't settle for anything less than the joy and the love of God that is on offer to you this day as you turn to him and find your life in Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this text. Um, and thank you for your love toward us that you came to earth in the first place and that People like this man, people like us, no matter if we have material means or not, no matter how much money we may or may not have, Lord, no matter how poor we are, how rich we are, we can come to you. And you are moved to even love us at all is just mind-blowing, Lord. Help us to find our great joy in your love for us. Help us to rest in that, Lord, as we're seized by your great affection. Help us to know the peace that comes with that and the rest and the hope and the joy and the delight that comes with that. Pray this in your name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. 
For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.